You can negotiate with the lawyer just like anybody else. You can try. It's not that easy. What's that? What's that? Okay, we are on. And we gotta get started here, guys. Okay, let's do it. Then. All right, we're in uh, Psalm 119, verse 97. Chaos, blood, and water. Water. Oh, how I love your law! I meditate on it all day long. Your commands make me wiser than my enemies. They are ever with me. I have more insight than all my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. I have more understanding than the elders, for I obey your precepts. I have kept my feet from every evil path, so that I might obey your word. I have not departed from your laws, for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. I gain understanding from your precepts. Therefore, I hate every wrong path. Every wrong path. Yeah, that's a wonderful set of verses there. Let's see. We got um, a few things. I know there isn't anybody here yet. but uh, You jumped 10 chapters there, I see, in Romans. Oh, well, we'll get to that in a minute. Um, we, uh, we've got some prayer requests, and they're Cindy now. Let's see here, and I bet. Um, we got, uh, um, I'll have to ask about that later. Um, I, for those of you that know that Hidiko was having problems, she's had every test under the sun, and um, uh, the only thing they found is a something, a, a, it sounds gross, a regurgitating something heart valve. And uh, other than that, she's just been having heart pains. And so she's fine. All the tests have come back negative with the exception of that. And it doesn't require either medication or surgery. So we're in good shape with her. And then Bob today had um, something, uh, you know, what you put in your heart to when those oh, things. Pacemaker. Pacemaker. Is that what it was? It, okay. What well, yeah, something like that. Yeah, it's something like that that he had inserted. I haven't heard from him, so we'll have him in prayer. And then um, I got a letter in the mail today from Don Young, who attends online, and he had his second round of chemo on February 17th, and he said the side effects were not that bad. So he's praising the Lord there, and uh, thank you for your prayers and those of the entire Superior Word congregation. And um, then uh, we have Lothar over in Germany, who uh, has had some, uh, he's taking radiation, and he says that's not nearly as bad as chemo. And so uh, he's, he's very happy about that. The chemo is obviously debilitating, but Don didn't have too much trouble with it. But uh, um, Lothar is very happy about that. And um, so those are just some prayer requests that uh, have come in or prayer praises. And uh, so we'll say a quick prayer here. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the uh, good news this week on all of these uh, uh, reports. And we thank you that uh, you are with us during these things. And we know that you're there through good or bad. You're you, you, we're all going to die someday, and we're all going to die, and uh, you know, however it is at your your decision. But at the same time, we have a hope that is way beyond this world. And so, uh, whether it's through suffering or through good times, or through pain or through death, or through you know good times and no pain, whatever it is, we're just we're thankful to be in your presence. And we're also thankful for your precious word. And we ask that you uh, help us to open it and consider it carefully today. And uh, to be obedient to it in our lives, to apply it to our lives, and to walk carefully in it. And surely it is sweeter than uh, honey to our taste. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. And uh, here we go into the Bible study. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's uh, 3.13.
Yes, we're in 313. I was just saying if you were paying attention. I knew <laughs> Burke would freak out if I, uh, uh, when I put 313 on the wall, but we're actually in Romans 3, verse 3. Um, I'm sorry, 3, verse 13, not 13, verse 13. But um, just thought I'd give you a little heart stop there. And um, so uh, um, before we get into that, I want to go back a little bit just because I, we got this one guy. He, I don't know what his deal is, but he's always trolling the superior word. You know, every prophecy update, he makes comments. And uh, only once or twice out of a thousand comments that I've seen have been positive. And uh, he goes on to the, the um, Bible studies as well. And I just happened to see a comment last week, and I'm misrepresenting R.C. Sproul. And I'm not misrepresenting. I read him every single day of my life. I know exactly what this person and his ministry teaches. Okay, we've been talking so far about there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that understands. And I've given the Calvinist interpretation of that. And I'm going to continue to do that through the book of Romans because there are people that are right and there are people that are wrong. John Calvin, Tulip is wrong. Okay, R.C. Sproul on these issues that we're going to talk about, predestination, election, and all of these other issues is wrong. That, that's, you know, I'm not going to not say this because somebody's trolling me and trying to get me to be quiet or tell other people I don't know what I'm talking about. No, I don't hate this guy. I just, I don't understand why if he disagrees with everything that the superior word teaches, why he'd even bother. But it may be that he has nothing else to do with his life. So I, I want to read you um, something right out of um, 28 February. This is last month's and this is starting this month's um, 28 February. This all deals with what we're dealing with in Romans. And so that's, I, I don't feel like I'm departing from our, our study notes, but I just want to read you illuminating scripture. This is, I'll read the whole thing. Just might as well keep it in context. Um, Thursday, Tuesday, 28 February. And they cite 1 Corinthians 2, 10 through B through 16. The natural person does not accept uh, the things of the spirit of God for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Now, that is one of the most abused verses you're going to find. It's like, judge not lest ye be judged. It's just something that people completely tear out of context. They've done a bad job with it in this analysis, and so I'm going to read it to you. The person that does the analysis, I believe, is Burke Parsons, the associate pastor under R.C. Sproul. But certainly, R.C. Sproul, if this is his magazine, checks everything. So if, if not, then that's his issue. But um, scholars at the, uh, of the Reformation regularly point out that in asserting the final authority of Scripture, oh, listen, before I go on, before I read this, this just came to mind, and this is important, and I don't want to forget it. Um, we were, um, it had live stream today on YouTube for about four minutes, yeah. and there are people that um, uh, may have seen that. And what that was, just so you know, um, Sergio has the, a way of not having it show up live on YouTube, and he did click on that button to say, don't go live. In other words, this is something that he's doing, and I wasn't wearing any shirt, and I was standing right here with no shirt on. And anybody that comes in here early should know that I go in back and I clean the kitchen and the bathroom. I mop everything by hand. I mop the floors by hand, and I use a lot of bleach. I do this every week. That's why they're so nice and clean back there is because I, I don't want to get bleach on my clothes. Sure. And so uh, I, I you know, take off my shirt and maybe other things when I'm in back, which, of course, I wouldn't do out front. But anyway, I'm, in, I'm back there cleaning with the front door locked. And um, uh, Sergio had some things. I emailed him about something on the system, and then he had some updates to do on the system, and we were talking back and forth on the iPad while he was doing these. And so if anybody was watching that and they say, what is Charlie doing without a shirt on in church? It's because the church was locked. There's nobody in here, and it was not supposed to be public. So 
I apologize to anybody that saw my manly figure. <laughs> I just can't even imagine looking at that white bone body. But anyway, just so you know, that's what? Isn't it Isaiah that prophesied? Yes, I, Isaiah prophesied <laughs> naked for three years. And so um, he was probably much more manly than I am. That's the whole point. How y'all doing there? Um, and then one more thing. I don't want to forget this. This is a brand new, never used back scratcher. If somebody wants it, if you need a back scratcher, it's really pretty. Um, please take that today. And um, so we're going to get back into this devotional and we're going to talk about where this is wrong in relation to the book of Romans. And I apologize for stopping, but I did not want to forget and somebody watching and say, why am I not wearing a shirt in church? That's why. Um, okay, so we're going to go on. Um, the reformers believe there was a place for reason to be sure. Even the soundest rules of interpretation would be insufficient for appropriating the teaching of scripture without the work of the Bible's divine author. In other words, the reformers held to a view of sola scriptura. We believe in the Bible alone. Sola scriptura means solely the Bible, okay? There are five solas. Does anybody know what they are? Oh, gosh. Sola fide, by faith, faith alone. alone. Solo, through Christ alone. Through Christ alone. So you've got uh, by grace alone, by faith alone, through Christ alone, by the Bible alone, and um, now I can't remember the fifth one, um, uh, uh, to the glory of God alone. Um, so those are the five solas, okay? And so just so you know, you might want to write those down so you don't forget them, because I agree with each one of them. That's not really a Calvinist teaching. That's a reformist teaching getting away from the Roman Catholic Church. We are saved by faith alone, nothing else. By grace alone, nothing else. By faith, by grace, to uh, by Christ alone, no Mary, no none of that other stuff. And then you have um, what was the one I just said? Um, oh, sola scriptura. That's all we need in order to understand um, our salvation. We don't need the church and to the glory of God. Soli Deo, Gloria, uh, anyway, to the glory of God alone. Okay, so um, now we'll go on just so you know what sola scriptura is, why they're say, citing that. That embrace the work of the Holy Spirit in illuminating, illumining his word in the hearts and minds of his people. Word and spirit must go together in order for people to know Word and spirit must go together in order for people to know, believe, and be transformed by divine revelation. Now, remember that the text verse. It says, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. So it's saying you need to have the Spirit and you need to have the Word in order to understand, that you need, in order to come to an understanding of saving grace and other doctrines in the Bible. Now, that's true, but what they're going to say is completely wrong in a few minutes. In noting that the illumining work of the Holy Spirit is necessary when we read Scripture, we are not saying that unbelievers are wholly unable to gain an understanding of the meaning of the biblical text. In other words, somebody can read the Bible and say, well, I understand that. Jonah was swallowed by fish, etc. They're not wholly unable to understand the meaning of the text. That's what they're saying. Okay? We are not saying that. Non-Christians often are able to comprehend at least a part of what particular passage of Scripture means, okay? So you're a non-believer, you can at least partly pick up what Scripture is saying. Without the work of the Holy Spirit, however, a non-Christian cannot truly understand the significance of a particular text for salvation or come to saving faith. One, it never says that in the Bible, and two, that is wholly false. That is contradictory to the verse we said last week. Faith comes by hearing, hearing and hearing by word. the word of God. That is wholly false. That is not only false, this is going in the opposite direction. It's going to heresy in an opposite direction. Can you read that again, Charles? I, I will. 
It says, without the work of the Holy Spirit, however, a non-Christian, a person who doesn't know the Bible, cannot truly understand the significance of a particular text for salvation or coming come to saving faith. You cannot pick up this Bible according to R.C. Sproul, Ligonier Ministry, and be saved. That's what they're saying. Okay? They're saying that God has to regenerate you in order to believe. and that. So I'm going to go on, and you're going to understand my logic here in a second, because this is dealing with uh, heresy. This is not something that's, hello, how are you? This is something that actually goes into heresy, saying that they're saying sola scripture. Well, if it's sola scripture, how do you come to know God unless scripture is telling you something, right? Well, they're saying the Holy Spirit has to do it, okay? I'm going to give you an argument, and I'm going to explain why they're wrong and that why this is so absolutely important to what we're talking about in the book of Romans, okay? It says, um, uh, cannot gain a... Uh, um, let me go back, text for salvation or come to saving faith. There is an understanding of Scripture that unbelievers can gain, but it is limited in its scope and its efficacy will be only to harden the heart. They're saying that when an unbeliever reads this, it's only going to harden their heart. They said, of the reader, unless the Holy Spirit does his work of changing the reader's mind, heart and mind. What's the problem with that? What is the problem with his statement? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Well, guess what? What does it say? And first, let me go to um, uh, one cannot truly understand the significance of a particular text for salvation or come to saving faith. Somebody turn to Romans 10, 17 and read me what Romans 10, 17 says. Okay, there you go. I, I, we got that out of the way then. I've already said it. I wanted somebody to read it from the Bible, but that's good enough. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Okay. Going on to the next verse, there is an understanding of Scripture that unbelievers can gain, but it is limited in its scope and its efficacy will only be to harden the heart of the reader unless the Spirit does his work of changing the reader's heart and mind. What does it say in John 15, 26? I've got a couple verses I want you to read, John 15, 26. If you get it, just read it out loud. This is really important because they're saying that you can't know without the Holy Spirit illuminating Scripture to you. John 15. Go ahead. Nice and loud. When the Counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. Okay. And you must also testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. Okay. Who is Jesus speaking to? He was speaking to the disciples. And what did the disciples and the apostles do? They went out and witnessed after. What did they do? Oh, they, well, what did they do? They didn't have that. That's what I'm asking you. What did they do? They understood what Jesus was saying. What did they do? They accepted what he said. They wrote the New Testament. Uh, yes. They okay. wrote the New Correct. Testament. That's, that's, they wrote the New Testament. That's what I'm trying to get at. Okay. Okay. They wrote it. Paul and the other apostles wrote the New Testament. Jesus was speaking to his disciples and to the people that would hear the word of the Spirit speaking to them, and they would turn around and transmit it to the people of the world. Mm -hmm. They wrote the New Testament. So let me read this again now and think of it from that context. A non-Christian cannot truly understand the significance of a particular text for salvation or come to saving faith. What did they do for us, the apostles? They, they wrote us this so that we can come to a saving faith, okay? They say, 
Um, it is limited in its scope and its efficacy will be only to harden the heart. Can anybody tell me, reading the Bible, if your heart was hardened the first time when you wanted to know Jesus? I'm talking about somebody that just picked up the Bible to know him, because I did. Did anybody else come to the Word through this? Guess who wrote this? The Holy Spirit through the apostles. He did his work. It is done. The Holy Spirit has done his work for us. This is why this is wrong thinking on the part of these Calvinists. They're saying you can't know anything apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. What do you think he did for us? Okay? So, I'm, go ahead. Do they believe in the rapture? No. They don't believe they're, they're replacement theologians. They don't no. believe in a rapture. They don't take it literally. So there's another problem by saying that the spirit, you know, the. Uh, let me go back and read that one that they cited. The natural person does not accept the things of the spirit for their folly to him. Well, the, the spirit wrote something in 1 Corinthians 15 and 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 about what? What did you just say? Rapture. The rapture. They don't believe it, right? But it clearly teaches it in the Bible. So do they have the Spirit or not? How come they don't believe in the rapture? If the Holy Spirit illuminates Scripture to them and they don't believe it, and you do, it means that one of us can't be saved. We must not have the Spirit in us. Do you see how stupid this argument is? Mm. How utterly ridiculous? The Spirit gave us the Word. He doesn't illuminate it to us the way that they are using it in uh, this particular devotional. That is not what it's speaking about. It is speaking about him writing this word through his apostles and then us receiving it. And I'm going to go on. We got more. Go ahead. According to that interpretation, you know, of the Holy Spirit, then people don't have free will. That's right. And that's what I'm trying to tell you. That's what we talked about last week. You were gone. And last week we talked about free will. Do we have or do we not have free will? And R.C. Sproul and all of these reformists say no. When it comes to salvation, we do not have free will. And we're going to go through um, Romans chapter 9. We're going to go through the duck examples again. You were here, and you, you, you grasped it right away. So it's something that we'll get to when we get to election. But do we have free will or not? And that's something that we will go through in detail, and we'll talk about it. Yes, sir. Charlie, I agree with everything you're saying. But I'm, my, my thing is, someone were to read the Scripture, right, and they were... The scripture was to enlighten them because we know it's from the Holy Spirit. Right. But doesn't the Holy Spirit work in that person so that the scripture. Absolutely. I'm not them. denying the presence of the Spirit when I I, words, I study for a sermon. I mean, lots of people have. Well, we've all read the scripture and then the scripture. Not understood it. We've not understood it. And then one time we read that. All of a sudden it comes alive right. because the Spirit reveals something to you. I'm not denying the work of the Spirit in understanding Scripture at all. That's not what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to, they're talking about saving faith. Where do you think you get saving faith from? From the Word of God. They have written this to us. It's not something that we need to be regenerated in order to understand. Any dolt can pick this up and say, I see what it says about being saved. You know how I know that? Because that's what happened to me, and I'm the biggest dolt I know. And so it must be true that I picked up the Bible, and it says, you believe in Jesus Christ, you're going to be saved. Right? They're saying I had no part in that at all. Zero. When the Holy Spirit's the one that wrote these words to us. But, Charlie, they have to have an open mind, meaning children learn by absorbing and not sure. being a skeptic. Have you ever gone up to a little child? Older. And they're more skeptical. That's true. It does but, no, no. Well, that has nothing to do with the Holy Spirit. No. But when I'm you go, what I'm asking, what you're saying is that you get skeptical when you're older. That's fine. That's not what we're talking about. Have you ever witnessed to a child that's five years old about Jesus? They receive. They receive. Okay. 
So why doesn't somebody that's older receive? Is it because the spirit isn't wooing them? No, it, it's the same spirit that has written the same words, right? I talked to a child that was, remember over in the projects, that one child, a little boy, and he asked what happens if I die and you know, and the mother came and said, I, he's old enough to understand, I want you to talk to him about Jesus and little boy understood perfectly, okay? That is a problem of the heart. That is a problem of training. That's not a problem with the word. It's the same, okay. and the same when we go down to Newtown. It's the same with color. Little kids don't see color. They don't see they color. That has to be trained into somebody. That That is right. And so it's the same thing. But the Spirit has done his work in giving us the word to be saved. That's the fallacy of what he's saying here. I don't dismiss the work of the Spirit in illuminating the Scriptures at his time in redemptive history. Somebody did not understand the doctrine of the rapture for 13, 14, 1500 years, nobody talked about the rapture because Israel is out, the churches replaced them. It was something that God had hidden from us. And all of a sudden, in the early uh, 1800s, people started to say, listen, there's something about this. And then people, here's a, another fallacy, and I'll, I'll get back into where I am in a minute. So let me say this is John Darby started talking about dispensationalism and the rapture, and other people started talking about that. And then the reformists or the replacement theologians said, well, that's a new doctrine. That's not something that, so one, they're denying that the Spirit has a right to work in redemptive history at a certain time with a certain doctrine by saying that. But secondly, John Darby did not make up the doctrine of the rapture. Who did? That's right. Paul wrote it in the Bible under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, it is not an aberrant doctrine. Paul believed it. He wrote it. It is you who have misunderstood Scripture for the past 1,800 years it is you because you believe that you are Israel. That's the problem. The spirit has a right to withhold information or to illuminate information at his time in redemptive history. The reason why he withheld that information for the, from the church for all of those years is explained in Romans 9 through 11. Romans chapter 9 through 11 will clearly explain that the Jews were under um, punishment, and during that time, salvation has gone to who? The Gentiles. That's right. Well, there's a time with that when that would end. And so when that time ends, something else is going to happen. Guess what? Punishment is over. He's going back to the Jews. It's happening in our lifetime. But these people are trained in a theology which denies that, and so they have to change every other doctrine of Scripture because of Israel, when the key to everything is Israel. And we're going to see that in the last chapter of Jonah. We're going to see that very clearly. Israel is under punishment. They are now being brought back out of that. There's no, as that one rabbi said, he was so angry. He said, more Jews have converted to Christianity in the past 1900 year, in 19 years than in the past 1900 years. He understood that something is happening. Sergio sold, I can't believe he did it without asking me. He sold his ukulele a couple days ago. What? Yeah. And the, well, he's moving. The guy that bought his ukulele came to him and, and they somehow said something to each other. And he said, well, we're going back to Nazareth or something. I don't remember exactly what they said to me. He says, what from there? He knew Sergio's family. And the guy said the exact same thing to Sergio. He said, Jews are really coming to realize their Messiah. Well, Sergio's like, well, let me tell you about him, you know? So anyway, he knew Rhoda's family. It was crazy. Anyway, the Lord is working in the Jewish heart at this time. The spirit is doing his work, but salvation issues, I'm sorry, it's written. He has done his work, and anybody can pick up this Bible, and he can read it, and faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. Okay, we're going to go on with these comments, because this is important. It all bears on what we've been talking about in Romans. Um, let's see here. Um, 
John Calvin's comments on today's passage. Now, here's a problem. When somebody says, I'm a Calvinist, I have a real problem with that. It's like saying I'm a Methodist or I'm a, when you start dividing up into the theology of one man, you've got a problem because John Calvin is just like Charlie Garrett. He makes all kinds of mistakes. And you say I'm a Calvinist and you hold to every line of this guy, you've gone down the wrong path. You've got to go back to the ad fountas, ad fountas, yeah, back to the fountain. Anyway, um, they're doing the same thing with Calvinism is that the Catholic Church did before, which the reformers tried to get away from. Go back to the beginning. Go back to the Bible. All right. Um, he said, John Calvin comments on today's passage, it is not owing simply to the obstinacy of human will, but to the impotency also. We're completely impotent to pick up the Bible and read it and make a logical deduction that, gee, I need Jesus. It's only a work of the Spirit, according to him. Um, but once again, Spirit, he gave it to us, um, uh, of the understanding that man does not attain to the things of the Spirit. He has said that men are not willing to be wise, that indeed would have been true, but he states farther that they are not able. Well, it doesn't say that up here. It says that, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. What was available when Paul wrote those words? The Old Testament. There was no New Testament. Do you see the fallacy in their argument there? There was no New Testament to lead people to salvation. Of course, somebody picks up the Bible and they go to Jonah and they say, I don't understand this story at all. No kidding. Because Jesus hadn't come. He hadn't fulfilled the picture. And that's what Paul's, he is writing about things in the Old Testament. He's not writing about the New. He is writing the New at that time. So what he is referring to has to be speaking of the Old Testament. Obviously, because there was no New Testament at the time. Did everybody understand that? Right. This is the problem with their theology, is they're taking everything and tearing it completely out of the context of what God is doing in human history. There's an Old Testament that people are writing about. There's a New Testament which is being written, which explains the things of the Old Testament. Okay? And then what do you do? You pick up the Old Testament and say, now I know about Jesus. I can go back into the Old Testament, and I can find him in every single book in every single chapter in every single paragraph every single sentence and guess what every single word how many times have we pulled out word after word after word after word every one of them pointing to jesus every single word in a series of words all unfolding and telling us about jesus and we're going to see that like once again so, in jonah chapter four so why do they waste the, the the ink and the paper print that every month because because it's, they, they, they do really well telling people this. It's bondage. It's the same thing as Catholicism. It's bondage. We have you. You have to listen to us because we are the ones that know we have the secrets and you can learn them from us. I, that is, I'm telling you that this is what's going on. Okay, I'm going to finish up with this now. It says, um, uh, we quoted Calvin, we require divine assistance to understand the full import of Scripture and to apply it rightly to our lives. Well, I would agree with the first half of that, but not the second half. All we need to do, any anybody, even if they don't believe in the Bible, even if they don't believe that Jesus is the Savior, can pick up the book of Proverbs and they can say, I'm going to apply this to my life because this is wise. Or I'm going to pick up Ephesians and I'm going to say, oh, you know what, I shouldn't do this. Or 1 Corinthians. You don't need the Holy Spirit to tell you to do that. Right. It, you can pick up the, the Quran and you can get wisdom out of there. God is merciful. Oh, well, gee, I'll apply that to my life. God is, you know, it's not an untrue statement in the Quran. The Quran is untrue, but there are statements in the Quran which are true. If somebody doesn't believe that the Bible is the word of God, they can still get information out of it. They're saying it's all, the whole thing is un, not understandable unless you have the Spirit, and that is not true, okay? 
I, there are moral people that read the Bible every day of their lives, and they don't believe in Jesus. I've talked to them. I, okay, we'll go on. Um, the Holy Spirit, oh, we'll go read that sentence again so I can get back into it. We require divine assistance to understand the full import of Scripture. I have no problem with that. And to apply it rightly to our lives. Like I said, don't commit sexual immorality. Okay, well, I probably shouldn't do that. No, no problem there. And so I disagree with the last, but I agree with the first. Then we go, the Holy Spirit must do his work of illumination. Once again, John 15, 26. The Holy Spirit will come. He wasn't talking to us. He was speaking to the apostles, as you noted. That is who Jesus was speaking to. I will give you the counselor. He will give you this information. You're going to go out. You're going to tell it to other people, and they will understand what I have come to do. Does everybody? Does anybody disagree with this? No. You, you've got this blank look on your face. No, I'm okay. Listening. All right. I, I just wasn't sure if you were like, I wonder what, okay, because I don't understand how somebody can come to the conclusion that John 15, 26 applies to us when he wasn't speaking to us. He was speaking to his apostles that would go out and give us this, okay? The Holy Spirit has done his work in giving us the new, the, the Bible. We can get what we need out of it without the Holy Spirit because it's as clear as crystal. That doesn't mean, once again, I'm not diminishing the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives as believer, believers, unveiling things that need to be unveiled in redemptive history. That is his prerogative but he has given us what we need to know for salvation. He has given it to us. That's why you can take a tract to somebody and you can hand it to them and they can read that tract because that one guy emailed um, in the Prophecy Update a few weeks ago and he says it changed my life. It's a simple tract, okay? That's why we hand out tracts and that's why if they have tracts in a, a Calvinist church, what a waste of money that is, right? Complete waste of money. Why would they even, why would they even bother? Well, Just put a lock on the door after the people that are predestined to be saved come in and then don't let anybody else in because they're not predestined well, it's crazy you know i have a calvinist friend and he i always say like well why do you bother going downtown and handing out tracks to uh to homeless people well, what might do good well no his his comment is well you you never know that that track might be the one how where, ridiculous like, okay, you cannot like, so, thwart god's will if what we're going to go through the duck example again in romans chapter 9 and you you cannot thwart god's will according no. to their twisted version of scripture you cannot right. do it or so there's can, no point their box can fit into a nice little box about the size of a, a, a secret egg card box and that's, uh, and that's it that's right it's very bad theology okay let me finish this up and we'll get into romans um for paul says in 1 corinthians 2 uh 10 through 16 only spiritual men and women can discern the things of god and while the holy spirit certainly does this on an individual level we must remember that the spirit is given to all of god's people we need one another to enjoy the full benefit of the Spirit's work of illumination, for the Spirit is often pleased to speak, as it were, through others, giving them insights to help us all, uh, help us all know his word. And my comment at the end, if I can read my bad handwriting, there was no New Testament at Paul's time. It's a stupid commentary. This, the last thing he said is just as stupid as the rest. There was no New Testament. Of course nobody's going to understand that this points to Jesus. The Jews didn't. They nailed him to a cross. Afterward, oh, see, Peter had to stand up in Acts chapter 2 and actually tell them that he fulfilled all of this stuff. They didn't know. They had no idea. And the people mourned. They repented. 3,000 were saved that day, right? Okay, I have one more comment from today's or yesterday's because got a, a new month's devotion. You can see why I sit. I read this every morning of my life, and I literally stew. I stew. Sometimes I yell at it. Sometimes I, I just I get so angry at this. 
I, I go to bed funny. at night. Yeah. It's funny how your relationship, at least in your mind. I love the guy. I, I go up to see him. What was it? Two years ago. Two years ago, and you say, Jim, I want you to give him a big hug. And then slap him over the head with your Bible. I'm like, you know what? It's like, you know, I, 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 she hears me. I get yelling at these things. I have to wear that thing at night so I don't clench my teeth because I'm <laughs> ruining my jaws. Literally, I'm ruining my jaws because my teeth, I got a ridge here and here where my teeth are being pushed back up through my jaw because I clench so hard at night over things like this. It makes me so angry. Okay, here's uh, just this comment. Um, this is God's eternal decree. Um, I'm not going to read you the whole thing this time. The Lord actively exercises his reign working out his purposes in all things. In using that terminology, Paul leaves nothing, now listen to this, he leaves nothing outside of the purview of God's active control, okay? He says, good and evil, our choice to believe in or reject Christ, the rising and setting of the sun, there is nothing that the Lord does not determine and control. So he's saying that the Lord not only knows that evil is done by man, he determines it. In that verse, he ascribed evil to God. Let me read it again so you don't think I'm making this up. Good and evil, our choice to believe in or reject Christ, they have to come to this conclusion because they don't believe in free will. Our, our choice to believe in or reject Christ, the rising and setting of the sun, he takes different categories and he puts them together. He's making all these category mistakes, but he says there is nothing that the Lord does not determine and control. I'd agree with the second one. He controls all things. He does not determine man's wickedness. Man commits wickedness against him. He does not determine man to commit wickedness. He does not. The Lord is never the author of evil. Evil is in the universe. He did not author it. He gave his beings free will. And that, I'm going to tell you, those two things right there are enough to really make me just want to go over and I, I don't even want to say how angry that makes me because God is not the author of evil. And he don't, uses evil for his glory. He uses purposes. evil for his glory. It, it, Joseph himself said that. What you intended for evil, God intended for good. Okay? God knew that he was going to make that choice. He did not make him make that choice. He knew that he would make that choice because if he made him make that choice and it's called evil, then that is ascribing evil to God, which is exactly what he's saying there. This guy saying that I, I misquote R.C. Sproul is completely wrong. I read him every day of my life and I go through this because if you don't know what other people are teaching, then how do you know what is proper when you teach? So the, their mistake is, is that they look at life through God's perspective. That's right. They look at it from this perspective and here, and none they of us can. So it's like you know what? You have free will. Whatever you decide, go left, go right. God knew what you were going to do. That's right. But but they deny that. You they didn't absolutely <laughs> deny that. Nice. And right. that guy keeps saying, I, "I'm misquoting R.C. Sproul. I'm not being fair to Calvin. I didn't write that commentary." I stand against it, and I read it every day of my life, and it is such garbage. It, but there's a lot of good stuff. Don't get me wrong. You go back and you read stuff on their, their doctrine on the Trinity, their doctrine on all kinds of other issues. They are very good. If somebody asked me, one of you maybe, you know, would you recommend that somebody, I think it was Linda, you asked, or you, it was Cindy, you know, would you recommend somebody reading this? And my answer is, unless you really know theology, the answer is no, because you're going to get confused over this kind of stuff. You're going to get led astray. You're going to get out of dispensationalism. You're going to start believing in all of this stuff, which is theologically incorrect. 
God has revealed things in redemptive history, and as I said, the 1800s, and then the 1900s, and then guess what? In the 1948, Israel's back in the land, but their theology says that means nothing, because they cannot come to terms with the fact that the Holy Spirit, which they say does everything in history, has a right to do something in history that they don't agree with. It's absolutely perverse. Let's go on. Verse 313. Well, you get a bone. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Don't read that stuff. Oh, I have to read it. I have to read it because if I don't, then I don't know how to teach you what's proper. I can tell you what's proper, but if I don't have something to tell you which is improper, then all you have is you got one side of the story. Yeah. It's like teaching what the Jehovah's Witnesses. That's why we have, you know, it, it, you don't attend here, but we have, uh, Paul did a whole thing on cults. Well, nobody here wants to know what the cults teach so they can they can become a cult member. They want to know what the cult teaches so that they don't get stuck in that thing. Okay, so I, anyway, I, I, I read this, I get a lot of benefit out of Table Talk Magazine, and I get a lot of tooth pains as well. I really, really clench my teeth at night, angry over people that are so intelligent that cannot stand back and say, oh, guess what? There's actually a New Testament that we're supposed to be looking at, and that was given to us by the Holy Spirit. And that is what it's speaking of, discerning the things of God. There was no New Testament when he wrote that, so he can't be talking about the New Testament. Go ahead. 313. With um, some subtle uh, attachment to what you've been talking about. Okay, go, go back. Before you do, start with verse 10 so that we have full context. And as it is written. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Okay, once again, what is Paul doing in these verses we're looking at right now? It's showing that none of us... But what is he doing? He's, 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 he's writing. He's writing, but from where? The Old Testament. The Old Testament. That's what I'm getting at. He is, he is citing Old Testament. There's no New Testament. He's writing epistles to these people. He, my guess is, this is my guess. I don't know this for certain, but my guess is he did not realize that he was writing the Word of God at that time. I don't think that any of these people actually realized that what they were writing would be included in the Word of God. I could be wrong, but my guess is they did not. And most of them, we know that's true because some of the epistles were not accepted as canon until long, long after they were dead. I'll tell dead. you why that was, because I'm sure he didn't keep a copy. That's right. He didn't keep a copy. He wrote him a letter yeah, and he says... He wrote it and just said, here you go. Yeah, I, send I it on. And then he says, send us over to the people at Laodicea. And he had no idea that this would be 1900, 2000 years later, people still reading his words. He had no idea. So he is writing something to these people from the Old Testament. That's the context. And his okay. rationale for keeping a copy would be that if somebody whom he sent it to changed a few sentences, right. he would say, that's not what that's I That's not what I said. So that's he, right. So he, he just went about his life. He went about his life and he did his thing. Okay, so verse 313. I'm going to read it from this one. It's a little different, not much. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips. That's from the 140th Psalm. Who is he speaking about in the 140th Psalm? Well, let's go back there so we have the context. Because if you don't have the context, then you may not be understanding what is being said. 140th Psalm. Uh, hang on a second. It says um, verse uh, uh, 3. Okay. Psalm 140, verse 3. Well, I'll start at the beginning. Deliver me, O Lord, from evil men. What does that imply when he writes those words? that he is not, not evil. an evil man, right? Okay, 
Deliver me, O Lord, from evil men. Preserve me from violent men who plan evil things in their hearts. They continually gather together for war. They sharpen their tongues like a serpent. The poison of asps is under their lips. Lips, say love. Keep me, O Lord, from the hands of the wicked. Implying that what? He's not one of the wicked. Preserve me from violent men. Implying he's not a violent man who have purposed to make my steps stumble. Okay, he's talking about his enemies. All right. Calvinism would take these verses and say, see, this is speaking of everybody on the planet. You're all wicked, blah, blah, blah. When David couldn't have written those words if he wasn't, if he was speaking about himself as well. He's saying, I'm not among them. Okay. He's giving us a, a treatise on what the Old Testament says. And he's writing something for these people to understand the life that they should be living in Christ. Okay. So, their throat is an open tomb. Uh, with their tongues, they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips. Under their lips. Yes. Okay. In this verse, and the next two verses come, come quotes from the one who created the human body. Okay. As the designer of man, God understands the intended use of the parts of the body. And he also understands both what they can represent metaphorically and how they can be misused. Okay. In these three verses, the throat, the tongue, the lips, and the mouth are noted in order, and then the feet are mentioned. The order starts with the most internal part and works outward. You've got the throat, the tongue, and then the lips. And then it is summed up in a visible notation of the three combined, the mouth. It is as if we are visibly watching a person vomiting out wickedness. That's what Paul is writing about. This person is going, ugh! That's what David is writing about in the Old Testament. That's what Paul is trying to tell them in the New. This person is that wicked. It just exudes from him, okay? After this will be noted the feet. Once the heart's wickedness is expelled from the mouth, the feet are used to carry it everywhere they go. He's using the body the way that the Lord does in the Old Testament. He's showing us something about the perverse nature of turn on the TV and watch the people attacking our president. I don't even need to say who it is. It is exactly what these people are like. They're vomiting out wickedness in every single thing that they do. This is what's happening in the world at Paul's time. It's what was happening in the world at David's time. It's what happened in the world at Noah's time. And it's what's happening in the world today. There is righteous and there is unrighteous. And these are the people he's describing, vomiting out wickedness. And everywhere they walk, they continue to do it. Okay. Um, the imagery is shocking when considered as intended. Verse 13 is a quote from the fifth Psalm, and it is taken more specifically from the Greek translation of that Psalm known as the Septuagint. Okay, does everybody know the Septuagint? It's the Old Testament Greek translation. It was written about 250 years before Christ. There's an ancient letter called the Letter of Aristius, which explains that these Greek, um, these Hebrew uh, people in Israel that spoke Greek were taken down to Alexandria and they wrote what is called the Septuagint or the translation of the 70. Septuagint means 70, okay, or septa. Anyway, so, um, and actually I think there were 72, but they call it the translation of the 70. And the letter of Aristius explains this. If you want to read that, go to wesleynnu.edu, which is um, uh, Wesley website, nnu.edu. And then all you do is they got a search bar, just type in letter of Aristius, A-R-I-S-T-A-S, or I-A-S. Anyway, type that in, it'll come up, very short little letter. It's probably not a, an eyewitness letter, it's somebody that wrote it later, but he's writing about the process. Anyway, the letter of Aristius, um, and you can learn about the Greek translation of the Old Testament. But we know it predates Christ. The apostles 
and uh, Jesus himself are cited in, from the Septuagint much more than from the Hebrew. Just so you know that when you're reading a citation from the Old Testament, it is normally, not always, but normally from the Septuagint, okay? Um, uh, let's see here. The Verse 13 is a quote from the fifth Psalm, the Greek translation. Uh, noted here are the Hebrew, New King James Version, and the Greek, which is the Septuagint. I'm going to read them both for you, okay? The Hebrew from the New King James Version says, for there is no faithfulness in their mouth. Their inward part is destruction. Their throat is an open tomb. They flatter with their tongue, okay? The Greek translation says, for there is no truth in their mouth. Instead of faithfulness, it says truth. Their heart is vain. Instead of the inward part is destruction. Their throat is an open sepulcher. Very close, they use um, open tomb or open sepulcher. And then with their tongues, they have used deceit. The Hebrew says they flatter with their tongue. So there's a little bit of difference, not much, but um, uh, you can see there is a little bit. And that's what Paul is citing is from the, the, the Greek translation. As with any quote from the Old Testament, the context needs to be considered. As I said, you always, always have to take context. I can't tell you how many times you get people asking you about something and they ask, well, I don't understand why this doesn't apply to this. And it's because it's not speaking to you, right? People take the, the Jeremiah 31, 31. Is that the one I want? 29, 29 something, 14, you know, and they apply it to themselves. It doesn't apply. He's not speaking. Let me read you the one that I'm thinking of, just so you know what I'm talking yeah, about. For you. Yes, yes. Uh, and, and then think about this. Think of how many people have cited this particular set of verses and then think about think about it from its context, okay? Jeremiah 29, verse 14, I think is what I'm 11, looking for. I will be. 11. Oh, that's not the one. 11. Um, for I know the thoughts. 14 is another one that people use, but anyway. Um, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future. Then you will call upon me and go and uh, pray to me. I will listen to you. That's not the one I want either. What did, is 29.11? Um, it's the one where it says, um, um, uh, I will be found by you, says the Lord, and will bring you back from your captivity. It's the one where um, I have a purpose for you. Um, come on, it's right here in Jeremiah. It's either 29. <laughs> But then I will call 2911. That's not for I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. That's the right line. It's the right thought. But he, it, there's another one that people quote, which is even more pertaining to. Anyway, we'll just go with that. Just so you know what I'm talking about. 3131 says um, uh, 3030. I bet you that's what I want. Hang on. 3030 uh, or 33. No, 3030. 33 is another one that people use, but it's not, okay, there's no 30-30. There no okay, anyway, the idea is um, I have a plan and a purpose for you. Um, it, 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 he's speaking to the exiles in Babylon, and he says, settle down, plant houses, uh, I, I, <coughs> prosperity. You know the verse I'm thinking of, come what on. Book, what book is it? You're it's in Jeremiah. In I'm looking for it, and I'm looking for the... Uh, prospering you. Somebody online is yelling at their camera right now, you stupid dummy, why can't you you get this? But um, everybody in this, this class right now is not getting it. And you seek me and find me when you search me with all your heart. I will be found by you, says the Lord. 13. Huh? I'm reading that right now. I, that's, I, I'm just trying to find the verse and I'm trying to get my memory to go. Anyway, suppose you say that one. We'll just go with that one because it's not the verse that I'm looking for. Well, but Read, read, read uh, 
11. Well, 11 in a different translation is, I know the Go plans ahead. I have. Okay, well, that's it. Do you have that? <laughs> what are the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and hope. Okay, well, that's good enough. Okay, that's not the one that I'm thinking of anyway, but it's good enough. That's the one they have on all the plaques. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they have that on plaques too. Okay, who is he speaking to? This is Israel. Persian. Exiles. He's speaking to people in exile. Yeah. And he's saying to them, Settle down. Yeah, 2914. That's right. I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will bring you back from your captivity. They are in exile. They're not in Israel. They're in exile. And the Lord tells them, I want you to settle down in exile. I will prosper you if you settle down and you plant flowers and you plant gardens and you live there. I'm not bringing you back for 70 more years. Yeah, that's right. He's telling them to do this. Now, do you want to apply that verse to your life or any of these verses that he's talking about in Jeremiah? Because if so, you're supposed to be in exile somewhere. He's not talking to the church in those verses. And yet there are, as you noted, there are plaques all over the place that say, I'm going to prosper you and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that for you. It has nothing but, to do but, with but, us, but, nothing. Okay, I, aside from people trying to make money by making plaques right. and selling them, is the fact that <laughs> obviously there's 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 good uh, knowledge in there because... There is good knowledge in there. Paul, right now, is in the process of using that knowledge to, to kind of bring his point right. to, to the surface. That's right. There so, is something, and that's why all scriptures God breathed is profitable for teaching and rebuking and correcting of the man in righteousness. Okay, yep. we know that. And he's speaking about the Old Testament. He wasn't speaking about the New at the time. Right, right. The Old Testament gives us information. It gives us right living. Okay, but to take a verse out of there, uh, the, the perfect one, that's even better, True Chronicles 7.14, right? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves... He's speaking about Israel. Israel bears his name. It's not speaking about us. I know that people like to use that verse. Unless you're a replacement there. uh, Well, that's right. Unless you're a replacement theologian. That's right. But that is not speaking about us. If the Christians in America humble themselves and call on the name of the Lord, right? And the rest of the country, 92% of the people in the country are pagans and they hate God or they're, you're in a Muslim nation. And the Christians, if my people who are called by my name will do this, I'll turn and heal their land. It doesn't apply. We apply it because we're American. We're a Christian nation. But if you take that same verse and you apply it to any nation which is not a Christian nation, it doesn't apply. So it doesn't apply to us either. Right? Do you see what I'm saying? Right. It applies to Israel and the people and the land. And that is it. Okay, now I'm going to read something on Sunday about fasting and prayer in a nation. Okay, that applies. But to take 2 Chronicles 7.14 and say that this is our marching orders does not apply. Because he's not speaking to us and he's not speaking about us. He's speaking about Israel. Yes? Question. Do you, can you apply that a person who does not believe in God is an exile? Yes, all people that do not believe in God are in exile. That we get that right, right from Genesis chapter 3. From then on, all the way to 3, 4, Genesis 4. From right then, you are absolutely right. All people are in exile away from God. And God is reconciling the world to himself through Jesus Christ. That is the plan of redemption. But yes, all people are in exile away from God since Genesis chapter 4. Very good analysis or uh, observation. 
Anyway, so I, the reason why I wanted, and I'm sorry I spent a lot of time looking for a verse which I couldn't think of, and it may be the one that, that you all quoted differently, but the point is you can't take those verses out of their intended context and say, I'm going to apply this to my life. You can get valuable uh, information from it. You can put it under, I, I've probably even taken that verse and put it under a sunset or a sunrise photo on Facebook, but that is not to be applied to an individual in the circumstances we're in. That is to be applied to the individuals in exile from it, from the land of Israel for a specific reason. And if you do those things, I have a plan and a purpose for you. And he was telling them that. Don't worry about the exile. This is something that you have to endure. Get through it, and I will get you back in your land. It's not speaking to the church or to individuals in the church, okay? Anyway, the reason why I said that was so that we understand the context of Paul's writings now in Romans 3.13. As with any quote from the Old Testament, the context needs to be considered. The quote is speaking specifically about boasters and workers of iniquity, which was verse 5, and those who speak falsehood and the bloodthirsty and deceitful man, which is verse 6. Therefore, this verse, as with the previous verses, is not intended as an all-encompassing indictment, as Calvinism makes it. They make it into an all-encompassing indictment on all people. And as I said, David couldn't have written those words if it was all-encompassing. He's writing it about the enemies of God, okay? Um, uh, but it is directed to those who practice such ways. The throat of these people is compared to an open grave. The grave is the repository for the dead. If the grave is left open, the stench of the decaying body is left uncovered, and it's a, it affects everything around it. If you've ever been around a dead animal on the street, he's been there for two days, it stinks really bad. Right? That's what he's making the, the, the analogy with. Okay? The words which proceed from such a person are intended to reduce anyone around to a nauseous state, even to despair. That's what he's writing. Okay? At the same time as being a place from which stent and putridity arises, the grave is open to receive more corpses, even until it is filled. The mouth which speaks such abominations not only offends, it destroys and it consumes. Because it does, it will continue to put out a vile odor as those it receives begin to rot. This is the state of mind that we are intended to see. This is what David is trying to tell us in the Old Testament. All right, Those who speak falsehood, who are bloodthirsty, reek with wickedness, destroy others, and cause them to reek with their decay. It is a repetitious and increasing cycle which is never satisfied. Think of any cult in the world, and that is exactly what you're seeing. Think of any aberrant government group, you know, without getting too political here, that's exactly what we see all the time. Because some people are completely opposed to anything moral, anything which is right in society. Whether it's religious, whether it's moral, whether it's political, doesn't matter. It's all the same thing. All of this proceeds from the heart, through the open throat, and then off the tongue. The symbolism of these body parts is so vivid and so correct because God who designed them knows how easily they can be misused. That's why we have all of these things in the Bible that again and again always mean the same thing. Salt in the Bible describes the same thing. When you see water, it's describing the same thing. There may be several possibilities for what water is describing, but it will always be the same, okay? You'll see the, the same, uh, the, the whirlwind, when you see the whirlwind, when you see a stone, when you see um, a high mountain. They're always referring to the same thing because God is using them for us to understand pictures that are going on in the Bible. A decaying body is one of them. The pit is one of them, or an open grave is one of them, 
all right? Life application. Our words have consequences. When they are used properly, they are edifying of others, honoring to ourselves and glorifying of God. When they are used in a wrong manner, they cause harm to those who receive them, and they will be used as a tool of judgment against us. Matthew 12, 36. All right? If you know it, just say it. If not, I'll read it to you, because I don't want to misquote it. I've spent enough time on Jeremiah 29, 11, where I don't want to waste any more time. Matthew 12, 36 says, um, uh, But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. Now, once again, that's speaking to a certain group of people under a certain dispensation, but it is certainly going to apply to us as well. Every man, every word that we speak will come into judgment. Now, our judgment will be different than the people he was speaking to. All right. But at the same time, we will be at the Bema Seat of Christ. The people that aren't saved Christians, they'll be at the great white throne. But we're all going to be judged for what we do and we say. Their judgment will be for greater or lesser condemnation. No. Ours will be for rewards or losses. Just to correct, not unsaved Christians. Not unsaved Christians. Christians. What did I say? Unsaved Christians. Unsaved Christians. I don't know. Whatever I just said, you, you got the, the intent. Right. Unsaved, unsaved Christians. People. 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 As opposed to Christians. That's what, Well, the saved Christians will be at the Bema Seat of Christ. Right. The unsaved will not be with them. They will be okay. There you go. If I said it wrong, I apologize. But yes, okay. Only the saved will be at the beam of seat of Christ. The not unsaved Christians at the beam of seat of Christ. I just wanted to fool him. That's all. If I said that, then I apologize. Anyway, okay. So then they would have lost their salvation. We can't. That we can't have that. Absolutely not. Let us determine in our hearts to use our words carefully. And in a manner which is good and right, not in evil and wickedness. Okay, verse three. Four. Oh, wait, he's got. So, I picture this as going to the doctor. Right. Okay. Once he asks you, stick out your tongue. Then he asks you, examine open your, your mouth. mouth say, and uh, there it is, stinky, right? That's right. There's something down there. I need to fix you. So we go to the great physician. He's 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 getting these people ready. That's to right. He, he, I, I, I absolutely like that because what Burke said just now is absolutely correct. And this is something that I've said a billion times. And I even have to remind myself of this is that we do not fix ourselves. And this is the problem that almost all churches get into this at some point. And this is a really bad place to be. You're a drunk. You need to get undrunk. Okay. It doesn't work that way. You need to get saved. Christ will get you undrunk. What does Jesus say in his parables? He says that um, a man straightens out his house. There's a demon living in him. He, the demon goes out. He cleans his house. He's all uh, okay. The demon's out flying around in arid spaces. I'm paraphrasing. And he says, gee, I was happy where I was. He gets seven of his friends, and they go back, and the man is worse off than he was at the beginning. If you don't have Christ, you're going to be filled with something, and it's going to be worse than when you cleaned out your house. Don't fix yourself. And then go to church. Go to church and be fixed. And that's the problem is way too many churches, they say that oh, you're you're an adulterer. You know, you're going to hell if you do that. Well, yeah. What do I need to do about it? Well, you need to quit adulterizing or whatever. <laughs> what you need to do is let me tell you about Jesus. And when you know Jesus, then he will take care of that urge that you have. That is where the thing is. If you sweep your house clean and say, well, gee, I'm not an adulterer anymore, and you don't know Jesus, you're going to be four, seven times as bad 
next year when you're in the bar drinking yourself to death or you're shooting up cocaine or heroin or whatever you shoot. Or full of spiritual pride, thinking you know Full of spiritual pride, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. What we need to do, and that's why I said one time, and I tell you what, I was called a false teacher. I was sitting right here during the prophecy update. I got banned from a group on Facebook because I said, you don't need to repent in order to be saved. You need Jesus in order to be saved. And they said, he doesn't need to repent. And then the same people, the same people that called me a false teacher and blah, 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 three or four months later posted exactly the same thing on that wall and said, what a great article. It's because they don't think things through. It's when it says in Acts chapter two, you need to repent. Who is Peter speaking to? Jesus. Speaking to the Jews. What do they need to repent about? Repent means metanoia, change your mind. About you need Jesus. to change your mind about the person that you crucified just a short time ago, that he is the Lord. He was speaking to Israel, coming out of under the law. They needed to repent of who Jesus is. The only thing that a person needs to repent of in order to be saved is if they already have heard the message of Jesus and they rejected it. When they accept it, they are repenting of their rejection. Other than that, there's nothing to repent of. Because if you say that, that means you have to fix yourself in order to come to Jesus. And it doesn't work that way. As you just said, the doctor says, open your mouth. I need to check out what's wrong with you. You don't go home and say, I'm really sick. I need to get well before I go to the doctor. <laughs> you go to the doctor and he tells you what's wrong with you and he fixes you. Jesus fixes things. He fixes people. He fixes human lives and souls. And any other avenue except calling on Jesus first is going down the wrong path. What we need is grace. We need God's grace. Anybody that says that you have to repent does not understand what the word repent means. Metanoio, change your mind. You've got to change your mind about something. Okay, that's it. It doesn't mean you have to go and stop being the adulterer or this or that. He will do that for you as long as you come to him. But if people get it out of order, then people, as you just said, they get prideful. I quit being gay. Well, it didn't change anything. If they don't know Jesus, they're just as lost as they were the day before, right? Whatever it is, you need Jesus. He will change you, okay? Let's go on. Verse 314. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Okay, same thing here. 314, Paul's next quote is from Psalm 10, verse 7. Where is that found? Where's Psalm, where's, where are the Psalms found? Old Testament. Old Testament, okay. 10 verse seven. Is verse seven of chapter 10 still in the Old Testament? Yeah. Okay, good, I just wanted to make sure. His mouth is full of cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue is trouble and iniquity. Who is David speaking about? The person whose mouth is full of cursing and deceit and oppression and under his tongue is iniquity. Not speaking about himself. Okay, so we'll go on. Um, under divine inspiration, Paul has amended David's words while maintaining the overall intent of what he is saying. Anyone who opens his mouth in deceit and oppression is himself a person of bitterness. The cursing of man can be accomplished in several ways and in different directions. Okay, Man can curse God who created him. We hear that all the time. It's happening more and more and more. You hear it all the time. This can be done directly or it can be done indirectly. An attack against the unseen God or upon Jesus who reveals God would be a direct curse. A person who speaks against God's word indirectly attacks God because the word of God issues from him. Oh, the Bible. Yeah, I can do this. Talk about attacking God's word. Burke and I were talking about that. I didn't want to get up and do this because I know the camera goes out of whack. But I just want to read you some comments from 
this is, I'm going to cite this in the, uh, the sermon on Sunday. But if you're not going to be here, then I want you to know, don't ever buy this version of the Bible. Okay? It's the new Oxford Annotated Bible. Okay, don't buy this. All right? I'm going to read you. I'm just, I highlighted all kinds of stuff in here as I was reading it. And you talk about chewing on your teeth. Let me just pull up. Wherever I have something highlighted, it's probably something bad. Um, oh, the book of Isaiah in its current form. This is the very first sentence of their analysis of the book of Isaiah. In its current form was written and assembled over the course of several centuries. Okay? Chapters 40 through 66 cannot be earlier than the 6th century. Why do you think they said that? They don't believe in prophecy. They don't believe in predictive prophecy. Well, guess what? When they found the Dead Sea Scrolls, it was there. It was there from Isaiah 1 all the way through Isaiah 66, and there was no stop in the middle of it, right? Okay, so you got that. Now, I'm talking about people that will attack the Word of God. Let me read you something from the book of Daniel, okay? Daniel. This is the very first sentence of the book of Daniel commentary. The book of Daniel combines the humor of folktale with the mystery of the apocalyptic. And they go down a little further, blending theological emphasis on personal piety and divine intervention with staples of folktales, such as wise courtiers, endangered heroes, and foolish kings. The first six chapters entertain and edify, even as they provide encouragement to Jews living as a minority under foreign rule. So what have they done there? They've taken and they've said, well, we acknowledge that the Jews were under foreign rule, but we don't believe anything else about the book. Mm-hmm. So they, they, they're completely confused. They're saying that it's folktale, it's a lie, and yet they acknowledge that the, tr- the truth of the exile. The entire thing is, I, I could go through dozens and dozens of these. I'm just highlighting them here. You'll see yellow in here. It's probably me just saying, what a bunch of idiots. When and was that written? I, um, I don't know when it was written, but I'm telling you, they malign the word of God, all the way through it. Um, I, let me see if I have a, a date on it. Anyway, um, Oxford, Oxford. Um, uh, I can't find, oh, 2001 is the copyright on this one. Here's my, I made a note. I finally got so mad I stopped reading it because normally I'll read a Bible. I start with the preface. I read every single word of that Bible and then I go get a new Bible. Never read the Bible without reading the preface because that tells you the mechanics of what they're doing. Why is Lord, Lord, and Lord in there? We've talked about that. Why do they say this and why do they use this text? It's all in the preface. They will explain that to you. Here's my note, the preface to their preface. Note, the editorial comments included in this Bible are unacceptable and many border on blasphemy. The translation is acceptable and some of the analysis is useful or helpful, but it is slanted away from Hebrew culture and tradition. Scientific research of other cultures is quite in-depth, but comments on other sciences are misleading, incorrect, or outright fabrication. There, that's what I think about the New Oxford Annotated Bible. Anyway, so people that will malign God's word. Um, an act of cursing directly uh, of God directly is found in Leviticus 24, 10 through 23. Let me read this to you. Cursing God directly, Leviticus 24. Um, you're going to find this as we're going through Leviticus. You'll see this pattern going on, 10 through 23. It says, um, now the son of an Israelite woman whose father was an Egyptian went out among the children of Israel. <laughs> And this Israelite woman's son and a man of Israel fought each other in the camp. And the Israelite woman's son blasphemed the name of the Lord and cursed. And so they brought him to Moses. His mother's name was Shelomit, the daughter of Dibri of the tribe of Dan. They, then they put him in custody that the mind of the Lord might be shown to them. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, take outside the camp him who is cursed. Uh, then let all who heard him lay their hands on his head and let the congregation stone him. Then you shall speak to the children of Israel, saying, Whoever curses his God shall bear his sin, and whoever blasphemies the name of the Lord shall 
surely be put to death. All the congregation shall surely stone him, the stranger as well as him was born in the land. When he blasphemies the name of the Lord, he shall be put to death. It goes on in the very last verse. It says, so the children of Israel did as the Lord commanded Moses. They took him out and they stoned him. You're going to see an offense, um, uh, a statute given, and then somebody offending that statute, and then the punishment against it. And then you get through the rest of the Old Testament, and you will see many times where somebody commits the exact same crime, and they're not executed. Okay? The Lord is trying to show us what people deserve and what grace is bestowed. Okay? David should have been stoned for what he did. The Lord gave him grace. The woman under Jesus, right? She committed adultery. They didn't bring the guy. They just brought the woman, and they did it to trap Jesus. And then he put them into their own trap. They all walked away dropping their stones. And the one thing that everybody leaves out of that is the last sentence, the last sentence go and, and sin no more. That's right. But all of the liberals that want to quote that one verse, they see it's okay. Jesus says it's okay to, to uh, commit adultery. <laughs> go and sin no more. There is a punishment which is expected. There is grace. And if you don't accept the grace and stop doing what you're doing, you're going to get the punishment. That's the whole idea of what's going on here. Okay, cursing of God. The penalty for the one who did this was stoned to death. Cursing can be against others as well. An example of this is found in 2 Samuel 16. Okay, 2 Samuel 16 says, do, do, do. I just want to be thorough in this so you know that all of these things that Paul is writing about, he's referring to the Old Testament. Okay, 2 Samuel 16, 5 and 6. Now when King David came from Bahurim, there was a man from the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei the son of Gera coming from there. He came out cursing continuously as he came. And he threw stones at David and at all the servants of King David and all the people and all the mighty men who were on his right hand and on his left. The story is very interesting. It shows David giving this guy grace. Even when he deserved to die, he didn't, okay? And then he got more grace. When David was ready to die, what did he do? He said to his son, this guy is a troublemaker. You'll know what to do. And his son took care of exactly what he needed to do. But even his son, instead of saying, you cursed my father, you're going to be executed, gave him grace. He didn't accept the grace, and he ended up forfeiting his life. Okay, the Bible is showing us these things again and again and again. All right, um, to 16, 5 and 6, the guy cursed King David as he fled from his son who had revolted against him. The bitterness which Paul speaks of is rooted in the heart of man and pours out in his words. Jesus, while speaking to the uh, Israel's leaders, showed this in Matthew chapter 12. There he revealed that we cannot disassociate what we say from who we are. He said, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. Brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things and an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things, right? Life application. Our words are a reflection of our heart. I'm glad everybody said, everybody said I was expecting them to say of who we are. Not always, because I say things that I don't mean, and my heart reflects that. Lord, I'm so sorry that I said that. They are a reflection of our heart. They're not always a reflection of who we are, and way too often people make that mistake, and they say, well, he, he speaks bad, and therefore he's a bad person. No, he was a really upset person, and now he's regretting what he said, okay? It's a reflection of our heart. Very good. Um, how we speak about God, his word, and the things he has created, like these people right here that wrote that terrible version of the Bible, uh, reflect our relationship with him. They obviously have 
no relationship with him to write the things that they wrote in that Bible. And I told Burke, you wonder why I bought that Bible. I was at a Bible study when I first met the Lord, and I, my neighbors went to a Methodist church, and I went with them. And I went there for a while, and he said, we're going to go through a year-long Bible study. We're going to cover the whole Bible. I'm like, <laughs> now I look back, what a stupid thing to even say. But anyway, um, um, he said, this is the Bible I recommend that you get. Oh, this is the Bible. This is back in 2003, I think, or 2002. I paid $85 for this piece of junk. Oh, not the Bible, the comments in the Bible. The Bible isn't a piece of junk. I want to make sure you understand that. But at, way back then, that was a lot of money, even today, for a Bible. But my goodness, I bought that thing. What a waste of money. What a tragic waste of money. And the people that are in there, their hearts are not geared towards God. They just mock his word all the way through the whole thing. The Bible isn't a piece of junk. The comments are. Okay. Um, so uh, let's see here. Um, where was I? Okay. Um, uh, oh, I'm in the life application. That's right. Okay. He has created how we speak to and about other shows our others, our concern for those he has created and for whom he sent his son to die. Although we have every right to speak out against evil and the perverse things of the world, something that we can't seem to do on Facebook without getting attacked. Jim and I go through this quite a bit. Um, we're talking about a specific incident that happened a week ago, but anyway, um, uh, we need to ensure that our words rightly reflect the truth without promoting evil. Now, I specifically made a post about something that was very corrupt that our previous leader did. It was highly corrupt, and I posted it saying that this, I think I said something like, he needs to be in jail. This is really criminal what he's done. Wow, did that turn into a nightmare. I mean, what a Nothing evil I said. I just, no. you know what? Nothing. It was just very direct and very basic. But uh, you know what? You have to be able to call out wickedness in the world. They did it against the kings of Israel. They did it against the wicked leaders of other nations. We live in this world. We are participants in it. We cannot disassociate ourselves from the circumstances around us, whether they're political, whether they're, um, uh, you know, national or state or local. They affect us. When people do, when people do things to the electorate that are against the law or that are harmful to the electorate, they need to stand up and they need to say this is wrong. Because if not, then wickedness is going to prevail. Then it almost did. We came this close to it prevailing in the last election, and this nation would be entirely different four years from now. And the economy is still going to collapse. I, I just have that in my heart. I maybe it won't. I don't think he's going to miss that bullet, though. I think he is going to define his presidency by what happens. But in the meantime, what would have happened would have been far, far different to this nation. I'm telling you. Believe me, we would be in a completely different world. And when I was certain, I was certain six months ago that we, Israel, had no protector in the world. None. And now I'm completely convinced that we are, if, if the end times is coming soon, if it is, I always qualify that because we don't know, but if it's coming soon, they have a protector that they would not have had six months ago. I've always thought that America would be on Israel's side, and then all of a sudden it started to turn in the past six months. I said, it's not going to happen. They are alone. And now all of a sudden the nations are lining up differently because of just a few people getting out and making a choice. Wow. Okay, anyway, I know that's kind of political, but it bears on what Paul is saying here and what I'm giving with the life application. Um, we need to ensure that our words rightly reflect the truth without permitting evil. Others are watching and evaluating us as Christians, and as Christians, we represent 
Christ. Yeah, there you go. So we have to do that. We're allowed to speak out in this world against wickedness, but we need to be careful when we're speaking out against it. So, um, 3.15, yeah, we got 10 minutes, 14 minutes, so. And I know this is a real long one. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Oh, their feet are swift. That's it? That is all. Gosh, I'm not going to get through my commentaries on it. Let me see here. I got three, four, four pages. I mean, usually we get through one page about every 20 minutes. We'll be in the middle of this for a while. 314. Paul's next quote is from, oh, 15, 315. 15. Thank you. 315. This verse is taken from Solomon in Proverbs 1, verse 16. Let me read you that right now. Um, and if I ever do that and somebody gets there first, just start reading. It doesn't matter. But um, Proverbs 1, verse 16. And then somebody else can find Isaiah 59, 7 while I'm doing this. How's For that? For their feet run to evil, oh. and they make haste to shed blood. Okay. Their feet, read it aloud again. Okay. For their feet run to evil, and they haste to shed blood. Okay. And then Isaiah 59, 7, I think I said. And if somebody gets there, just go ahead, whatever. Um, just read loud if you read. Their feet rush into sin, they are swift to shed innocent blood. Okay, same thing. So it comes from either or both, all right? The heart is, has shown its state. The words have come up from the throat, and they have been shaped by the tongue and passed through the lips. That was on verse 13. From there they have issued from the mouth, verse 14. Now the words are carried into action. The first recorded sin in the Bible outside of Eden was the murder of Abel by Cain. Adam's sin in Eden separated man from his creator. Cain's sin in the fallen world separated man from man. Abel sacrificed animal life to his God for restoration. Cain <clears throat> sacrificed human life out of jealousy, leading to condemnation. Within about 1,600 years of Cain's crime, the world had become so wicked <laughs> that God destroyed it by flood. That was year 1656 Anno Mundi, okay? Uh, I, I check that, but I'm, I'm certain it is. I don't need to check it. 1656 is the year the flood came. The same pattern occurs time and again throughout the post-flood world. At the time of King Manasseh, it says that he shed very much blood till he had filled Jerusalem from one end to another. <laughs> Sounds just like what happened for the past eight years. Besides his sin, which he made Judah sin in doing evil in the sight of the Lord. Man, I'm glad we got a change. The world is once again in a state of such violence and degradation that human life has little value. The process of abortion is a mill of death. Euthanasia has become an acceptable method of human disposal. Murder rates in cities such as Chicago are higher. I typed this like five years ago. Imagine how bad it is now. I mean, literally, maybe, yeah, about five years ago, four years ago. Youth um, uh, are higher deaths than in Afghanistan. Chicago, higher than Afghanistan, place where they're having war, right? TV shows and newscasts are so filled with crime scenes that one cannot determine reality from Hollywood. All of this stems from the intent of the human heart. Jeremiah rightly called out the words of the Lord as he looked around the at the world around him in Jeremiah 17, verses 9 and 10. All right. Is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. That's right. Say it again loud. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who, who can, know can know it. That's right. Like, and I was wrong. That's almost it for um, uh, this verse. I, yeah, but I'm still going to go. Life application. Yes, the Lord does search the heart and he is able to heal its desperately wicked state. But it takes moving from the fallen world to the risen Christ. Without this action, there can be no true peace. 
Take time to learn the five following verses which show how to make this move. This is something that every person should know. All right, think about them and how you can <clears throat> rightly explain them to others, then go share this message. One, there is none righteous, no, not one, Romans 3.10. Two, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. Three, for the wages, that's right, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord, 6.23. Four, but God demanstrates his own, that's right, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, Romans 5.8. And the last one, for who ever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Not may be saved, may lose his salvation. Might God might get fickle and say, you're not saved after all. You've done something wrong. You shall be saved. It is done. It is past tense all the way through the Bible. Paul never waffles on that. You are saved if you are saved. You may get some bad rewards and uh, or loss of rewards, but you're not going to lose your salvation. God does not take... That last 10, one is 13. Romans 10, verse 13. Yes. Okay. The saved will be at the last judgment. Are the unsaved, or do they just go directly to hell? No, no. They go to the white, great white throne judgment in Revelation. We will not go to that. We will go at the rapture. We're going to be taken up, and we're going to go to the Bema Seat of Christ, which means it's Bema Seat is a seat which is higher. It uh, comes from the Greek games where they sat up and they... They uh, judge the people. Uh, he'll be on the the judge seat, and you look down on us. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's up there. Skybox. Skybox. He's, he's going to look down on us, and we're not going to do another one because it's three sixteen. And oh, oh it's, we can do one more. We got six minutes. Go ahead, three sixteen. You know what it is? Is I didn't highlight these, which normally I do, and so my eye skipped right over it. Normally I highlight the verse so that I know how long to make this class. Three sixteen will be done. Ruin and misery mark their ways. That's it. That's okay, it. good. All right. Well, it's not going to be as long as uh, uh, 316. That's a good verse, isn't it? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever <laughs> believes in him and studies the King James Version shall not. Okay, no. That believes in him and doesn't believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. No, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say any of those crazy things that people try to insert into the theology. Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Don't muddy the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't add in your pet peeve. He who doesn't drink alcohol shall be saved, right? All of these things that people want to add into their, their theology, it does not say those things. You trust in Christ, and he will fix you up if you pursue him. If you don't, you're going to have a little cup of rewards, maybe not much at all, but you will have your salvation, okay? Don't muddy the gospel. All right, verse 316. This is a quote from the second half of Isaiah 59.7. We saw the first half in 59.6, I think it was. Anyway, um, Isaiah 59.7, and if you get there, just read it. doesn't matter. Um, Isaiah 59, got it. It says here, their feet run to evil and they make haste to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity, wasting and destruction are in their past. Okay? Um, the ways of those who reject God lead to destruction and misery. The Greek word translated as destruction is suntrima. And this is its only use in the New Testament. It comes from the idea of dashing something to pieces. Misery comes from the Greek word teleporia a word found only one other time in the Bible, in James 5.1. It indicates a state of wretchedness. It is evident that these words are not applicable to all people at all times. Rather, they apply to a state of corruption which exists in the hearts of people and which is brought out when a denial of God exists. 
Okay, once again, that takes us right back to Psalm 14, 1, which Paul cites, and Psalm 53, 1, which you, the fool says in his heart, there's no God. These are not all-encompassing statements as Calvinism would teach you. They're not. They are, he's taking from the Old Testament, written by an Old Testament saint that wasn't applying it to himself. He was applying it to either his enemies or the enemies of God or both. Okay, this is important to remember because as was noted previously, these words cannot be found to imply that unregenerate man is unable to seek after God as Calvinism claims. Once again, that's why I brought this in and read it to you today. It is false because we have the New Testament. It is the words which lead to life. Okay, they're the words of Jesus. These are generalities about humanity which can lead to specific extremes in humanity, such as Khan, Genghis Khan, or Adolf Hitler, or Stalin, or Pol Pot. This is a condition that people have in their hearts that they're, they, they, exercise against what they know is wrong intuitively because God has instilled it in them with a conscience which they have to push away. They have to suppress the knowledge of God. The opposite is true as well. There are those who pursue peace who haven't called, been called by Jesus. Perhaps they refuse to bear arms against others or spend their lives ministering to others even though they aren't saved believers. This is important to note in order to gain a proper understanding of how one comes to saving faith. It is often true that the worst offenders will see their need for Jesus before the one who is always helping others and doing good stuff. The truly depraved person, when confronted with the truth of the gospel, may fully understand their condemned state and seek for pardon. The kind, gentle, and humble person, when given the gospel, may shun it because they feel they're already good enough and that balances the, that tips the balances in their favor, or maybe because they're at the top of the bell curve. So you can be the worst person in the world and realize that you need God, or you can be a really nice person and think, I don't need God because I'm a really nice person. Right. Just because who you are at one point doesn't mean that you're not on the right or wrong path in who you were at that point. Neither of these understandings would lead to the choice of accepting or reject, rejecting the gospel without free will. Free will is implied completely in these verses. 100% it is implied. Instead, they would continue down their chosen path without a second thought. If man does not possess free will, the evil of the person described in today's verse would have to be traced back to the fall of man who did not possess free will, and thus the blame would be elevated to God, to the Creator. Such is impossible as God is perfect and holy in all ways. That one comment that I read from this one, that God determines evil, I'm sorry, that is incorrect. God does not determine evil. He knows that it will happen, and he allows it to happen. He did not determine it to happen. We cannot impute wrongdoing to our creator, all right? Uh, therefore, the state of those who described by Paul is a personal choice acting upon the already corrupt state of man. It is a choice which is reflected in Matthew 7, verse 13. We can get it from the Old Testament economy, which Jesus was speaking about. Enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it, right? That implies choice. He's asking them to make a choice. Jesus <clears throat> asks to make the right choice because the wrong one will end in the destruction and misery noted in this same verse. Just in time, life application. If you're struggling with the doctrine of free will in man because you were originally instructed that you don't possess it, then think the issue through to its logical conclusion at the fall of man ascribing the fall to God. The question is, do you have free will? The reply, think it through and then you will decide. 
That was a joke. Yes. <laughs> okay. You have to think it through in order to, you know what I'm saying? It's exercise just, your free will. It, it, yeah, you have to exercise your free will to decide whether you have free will or not. Yeah. It's goofy at best, folks. But anyway, um, good stuff. I'm glad that I happened to read that uh, devotional in the past day or two because it kind of sets the tone. And you have to understand Calvinism in order to understand why Calvinism is wrong. And we'll get into other doctrines as well. It's just Calvinism, Calvinism is so pertinent to this portion of the book of Romans. Well, actually, the whole book of Romans, because it is so flawed. Anyway, Burke, would you close us in prayer today? Lord, we thank you that you know all about us, yet you still love us. And we need to come over to your side, not you come to us. Be like a just to, to line up with what your your word says. May we may we do that in our life and in our thinking and everything that we do. May we show forth, you know, how great you are, mm-hmm. and not us as being anything that really worth any glory or anything like. That. We just thank you that. Just, just that you've left this word for us. You've privileged us to be here, listen to all this good teaching, help us to share it with others, every opportunity, and speak to each heart, you know, all might draw close to you, and our lives be pleasing and our obedient. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right, let me back this up. Does anybody know where the bridges are? Are they okay? Uh, you got to cover that five things again. I, I don't have to. Oh, the sola. Sola. Okay, all right. I'll tell you. Oh, well, uh, let me push this button after we say goodbye. Okay, we love all of you. Have a wonderful week. And then they'll still get one more minute, so they'll hear this. Um, sola Scriptura by uh, Scripture alone. Sola Fide by Faith alone. Sola Gratia or uh, Gratia by Grace alone. And then Sola Soli Deo Gloria by To the Glory of God alone. And the last one is, um, yes, uh, Christo. Sola Soli Christo. And, and it can go one way or another. Uh, uh, Soli Christ or Soli. The, the word can be translated two ways and it can mean something a little bit different. But anyways, by Christ alone, in other words, is... is uh, and you'd have to look it up. There is a variation. It's Christos or Christo, and it makes a difference. But anyway, it, it, it solely S O L I. Yeah, solely or sola. Well, it depends. Sola scriptura, soli. Uh, it depends on which one you're talking about. So sola scriptura. Anyway, just type in the five solas. That's all you need to do. Go online. And you can read all about it. S-O-L-A-S, the five solas. It'll come, just start typing it, and it'll, before you even finish five, it'll come up. Yeah, and that, and it, it'll, there'll, there'll be people that'll give you a little evaluation of it, but I agree with each one of those, 100%.